So uh, this first question uh, is for Dr. Saunders. Now that OCM is about halfway complete, what have been, uh, in your estimation, some of the larger key learnings or, or trends thus far? Well, as I started out saying that <clears throat> in the beginning it was a learning year because practice transformation was what CMS was buying and uh, that required a lot of infrastructure and, and um, new capabilities to be put in place by practices. So the performance period one was not surprisingly, um, you know, the, there weren't a lot of um, wins there for practices. But but over the the last, um, say, three performance periods, uh, practices that have in aggregate gotten uh, progressively better in terms of being able to close the gap between CMS's target price uh, and their own uh, episode cost. And... Uh, and that's been driven by by a variety of things. Some of them have been efficiencies in their practice, but others have been, um, for example, cost efficiencies and reduction in the hospital uh, admissions and ER visits and uh, an increasing use of um, end of life uh, uh, services, hospice, and palliative care. But a lot of them have just been uh, better documentation, you know, better comorbidity coding and things uh, of that nature, and, and smarter use of um, of uh, high cost novel therapies. So those things are starting to occur. One of the, some of the challenges that um, that maybe were not as um, as deeply appreciated uh, in the beginning, but it turned out to be reality, is how diffi- difficult it is to get the data necessary to do the work. And because the, all of the programs are data driven, you know, they, the quality programs are data driven. The, the reporting requirements are you know require the, the access to data. Uh, even if you want to most efficiently use your um, care management and care coordinator resources, you want to do those people that are at highest risk. So doing things like predictive analytics to risk stratify your population, that's data-driven. So all of this relies on data and very, very difficult to get structured data out of the EHR. And, um, uh, and you know, so data liquidity is something that has to be a part of the solution in the future. And that's probably got to be, you know, mandated and enforced by CMS. Anything to add on this? Yes, I I echo Dr. Saunders' uh, comments, Zach. Um, You know, beginning was initially a cultural shift, the idea of fee-for-service to value-based care as expected. Our staff, then our physicians, it took quite a long time to to get there and uh, a lot of training to go on and extended uh, hours of, of operation in the clinic so we would avoid expensive sites of service like emergency departments um, and admissions. So uh, as Dr. Saunders said, we PP1, PP2, we didn't do that great, but as we as we get more mature in the OCM, we have been able to, uh, to be successful. For instance, as an example, mentioned that today we have been able to diminish ED uh, emergency department um, visits by 29% as compared to uh, other peers in OCM and 41% as compared to uh, uh, non-OCM practices in the country. But uh, in other endpoints that will give more details during the presentation today. But that, uh, to get there, there was a tremendous burden on us in terms of getting uh, documentation out of the unstructured EMR. Uh, we are trying to perfect that. We're trying to get the physicians and uh, assistants to get the data into the right places for us to harvest in analytics. We invested millions of dollars in a practice of our size. You know, we hired 100 uh, oncology certified nurses to run our care management. We have very uh, intense analytic teams and companies helping uh, us out with that. So it all um, all culminates into a success story, but it has, uh, it has been an arduous pathway. And then what is the future? Can we continue to tweak and improve um, 
emergency room avoidance, hospitalization avoidance, duration of hospital stay, I think we can, but the, the, the fruits are getting a little bit higher on the tree, mm-hmm. and uh, so that will require other thought process, and you may be getting to that in the next questions as far as drug management and pathways or others. All right, and I, I do want to just jump back to uh, something you alluded to, Dr. Saunders, and that's just predictive models and, and uh, data analytics. So. Can you just speak more to that? Or how can predictive models and, and such be utilized um, just to improve cost efficiency, I guess, in general? Well, you know, about 20% of the patients drive about 50% of the costs. So you want to identify those 20% um, up front so that you can, you can um, aggressively uh, case manage those patients. So to manage the adverse events and put them into the emergency department and ultimately in the hospital. And also... Um, um, I, you also want to identify people who are likely to die uh, and um, that don't have many, they're, they're really out of um, life-saving alternatives, you know, or a curative um, therapy, therapeutic options so that you can start the conversations um, about uh, a hospice, introducing palliative care. And that means um, not waiting until they're already dying in the ICU, but getting out ahead of it. And so there are a lot of predictive analytics um, uh, tools that you can use, including AI, machine learning, and so forth, so try and identify who these, those patients are and then focus your precious resources on, on, on managing those people at greatest risk. And I, I want to ask, at Florida Cancer Specialists, has AI sort of entered the folds of what you're doing out there? I, I'm curious to AI is such a hot, everyone's right. talking about AI, and I'm curious to know to what extent community practices are beginning to use it. I should say we're still in the infancy of AI utilization uh, uh, in practice in general in the United States. We are, uh, I think our practice is progressive, but uh, we are not quite there yet as far as identifying a patient who has a drop in performance status, for instance, with a high comorbidities, and we're not kind of matching uh, change, real, real-time change in laboratory studies, for instance, to, say, to, 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 to detect the declining patient, right? Mm-hmm. And then it, once we get there, then we can alert the physician uh, or healthcare provider team that this patient is to be seen in the clinic maybe once a week instead of every three weeks so we can uh, limit ED uh, visits and hospitalization. So we are not leveraging as much as we can or should, but I think obviously this is uh, companies uh, like Integra and others may uh, be able to, to help us and others in the country to, to get there. Mm. We, there, there is, um, I'll give you an example of one large practice that we support with predictive analytics. So what, we'll give them um, once a week, we'll give them a, a roster of all the, the new patients that they've seen risk stratified, broken down by risks for four or five different things and risk scores and then the ones that are, you know, in red are the ones that are that have the highest risk of E D visits or highest risk of a hospitalization or, or the greatest risk of dying in the next say a period of time. And there are models out there that will, will allow you to predict the risk of death in one month, two months, three months, four months, five months, and six months so that you can actually uh, get, introduce them uh, in, into uh, hospice. And in, in fact, in the uh, presentation that we'll, we're giving, giving I'm going to sh- show the results of that, where mm-hmm. they actually implemented a, a predictive analytics program, and they, they reduced the um, uh, they reduced the significantly reduced the, both the cost per episode and the um, uh, increase in number of hospice days, decrease the number of acute mm-hmm. care days. Yeah, we do uh, perform quite a bit of that manually via 
care management uh, mm -hmm. team. You know, uh, I think I mentioned <coughs> we have 100 care managers, uh, certified oncology nurses, and at any given time, they're managing 26,000 patients at FCS. So imagine the mm -hmm. burden. But uh, and they do a phenomenal job. We have like a 96% satisfaction rate from the patients being taken care of by by the care management team in addition to us. But we do need to get predictive analytics uh, to to help because there's there's leak, leakage there, right? There's no way we can capture everything, and uh, I think we can make uh, the success success story even better uh, with uh, help of models like yours. Another uh, I, there are other ways that um, predictive analytics are helpful, and that is to predict where you're going to come out on costs. So you're in a performance period. Um, you kind of like to know whether or not you're likely to get a performance-based payment. You're likely to get a clawback on the MIOS payments from CMS after the fact so that you can reserve for it in your financials. Otherwise, it comes as a shock and a surprise, uh, and it's kind of late. In both of your opinions, how has OCM uh, sort of revolutionized value-based payment modeling for the future? You know, OCM will end. Uh, you know, we're already halfway through it, as you said. So, in other words, what aspects of OCM do you expect future value-based payment models to, to keep or to, to model or to use, or in what, what aspects of OCM do you think would be done away with? Well, OCM uh, didn't invent the medical model, <clears throat> but what it did, it, it took, uh, so the, the, the medical model, which is based on the patient-centered medical home, has been around for a while. And um, if, you know, fully implemented and realized, it, it you know, has benefits, and it's been well-documented to do that. And, and so I, when I was at Aetna, we had, we had, uh, 350 medical homes and about 35 oncology medical homes and they were this model and before OCM actually implemented it. So there's, you know, it, practices that just simply collect the meals payments and don't do anything, they're not going to show any results, but if they actually fully implement team-based, um, you know, team-based uh, navigation and uh, case management of high-risk patients and, you know, managing end of life and, um, and they use um, care pathways that are thoughtfully considered based on evidence and you know, um, <clears throat> and they use um, use technology in EHRs. You know, they actually can have an impact. So I don't suspect that they're going to abandon that. I think what the, my guess will be that they'll go down the same path that uh, the ACOs went down, where they they listen to the feedback and they see what worked and what doesn't work, and 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 and, and, and then tweak the formula. I also suspect that there's going to have to be a greater emphasis on managing high cost drugs, because in the, in the performance period one, the cost of drugs was about 50 percent of the total episode cost. Now it's about 60 percent. And so it's looming to be far more important um, as a as a cost driver. And the new novel therapies are coming out at a faster and faster pace. So I think they have to get control of that. So I'm not sure how they're going to do it. Uh, a lot of things have been talked about, uh, but um, I think that's got to be a big part of the equation. Mm. Yeah, excellent points. Um, going f uh, <laughs> from your last comment, uh, Chuck, uh, yes, as, as you said, the price of drugs have kind of wiped away our shared savings in the last, uh, uh, you know, uh, PP, less PP, uh, PP3, and, uh, and something is going to have to give at some point in terms of uh, us being able to, to control that. How can we control? We can control um, with uh, some stiff pathway uh, or formulary navigator or options uh, to tell the physicians option one, two, and three for the practice for different uh, uh, OCM uh, or value-based care uh, programs. It will be quite complicated because we have to model not only one or two drugs but all the others and uh, the number of visits, etc. But uh, I think we're, we're going to have to to do something of that. But I think in, in the meantime, there, there, there is room yet to, to continue to improve upon 
what we have done so far, emergency room, hospitalization, readmissions. Uh, but uh, uh, as it was said, 60% of the cost uh, you know, has to be addressed uh, eventually. In terms of um, the uh, OCM longevity, uh, as it was said, uh, we are 50% into the OCM uh, uh, half-life when we, 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 we do participate with another four or five uh, uh, private uh, uh, companies doing value-based care with uh, all of them with good success. Um, I don't think this is going to be something that will go away. I think we finally got our physicians and uh, other healthcare providers to switch mentality and culture from fee-for-service to the, to BBC. Uh, I think it makes sense for everybody that patients are better cared for, but it will uh, it will continue to be to be a a, 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 a very uh, investment-driven uh, commitment practice-driven uh, approach to make this successful. Mm-hmm. You know, back in 2015 or 2014, we had zero value-based care contracts. Now we have 65% of our business VBC, uh, and I don't see that going down. Um, and that, that pretty much aligns with, with the goals of CMS and the major carriers. They want to see 70% of their business in value-based contracts by you know, 2021, 2022. Yeah. Yeah, the in our practice, uh, I could see that happening if uh, the cost of operation out, you know, out pace the, the the cost of the share shavings or the uh, the net, because it is not cheap to maintain a uh, hundred care management uh, people. It is literally thousands of uh, impl- team member hour to to deliver what we deliver and uh, help of uh, analytic uh, companies to to assist us in the understanding uh, of our data. But I, I think it's much more exciting uh, to couple treatment to value to outcomes to decreasing ER visit hospitalization. I don't think it should change. I I just do think that we should have a better answer from a a national standpoint as far as the uh, drug cost because there's at some point there will be no way we can do better uh, from a clinical management. Yeah, I think the pharma is going to have to step up too to be part of this equation with value-based pricing on their drugs. And I, those conversations are going on. Uh, do you, either of you have anything else you just want to add before we stop recording? I think it'll be interesting to see um, the evolution of the use of clinical pathways and formularies. And, you, know, you alluded to it, but um, you know, the, they, I think they've evolved from something that doctors hated because it was cookbook medicine and it was just right. forced down their throat by payers as to you know, align with their payment reimbursement policy. But I think increasingly, uh, if you have the, um, <clears throat> the various uh, regimen choices, uh, annotated in terms of their impact on total cost of care and uh, the you know um, uh, adverse event rates and things like that, then then physicians can make choices based on real medicine. You know the fact that this is a better pathway because it produces a better result, um, longer disease-free progression periods, fewer adverse events, and a total lower total cost of care. You know physicians will do the right thing, and they want to, so they need to be informed better. These pathways need to be better informed than just expert consensus based on uh, literature that occurred in a carefully controlled trial in a in a in a cancer center someplace where this doesn't represent the real world. I agree. Yeah, the uh, I think one one thing that uh, uh, companies like uh, Dr. Saunders and, and ours we're going to have to understand better. Uh, also, how to sequence drugs. For instance, I think we most of us can agree with first-line therapy for a cancer. Let's say 
renal cell carcinoma and then but there or melan or multiple myeloma for instance but there are several different ways of doing the sequencing so maybe one day we'll be able to have uh, total cost care and outcomes by sequence A versus B versus C which one is more cost effective and at the same time maintain progression free survival quality and overall survival um, and uh, you know as the data accumulates maybe we can go there but uh, it, it gets very difficult for us to to be gatekeepers of uh, uh, drug utilization if you have a, a, a new indication like for instance small cell cancer with uh, atezolizumab, carboplatin etoposide, you know expensive combination because of the addition of immunotherapy but it is what it is, the data is out there and the patient, uh, the consumer is demanding, you know, you have to use it. Uh, so yeah, it's difficult to control.